All right, we have more folks joining us. We're gonna let them in as they arrive. Um, so good evening everyone and welcome to another edition of our weekly Jewish fireside chat. It is fabulous to see you all here this evening. Um, this is our Sunday special. The goal of these fireside chats, as many of you know, those that have joined us week in, week out, the idea is to have opportunities to connect, have opportunities to be inspired from leading scholars around the country and around the world. We are very fortunate to have with us um, an incredible scholar who is an acclaimed lecturer, um, an educator par excellence, we have uh, our speaker tonight is a podcaster, an author, and I consider him a friend as well. And I am very, very happy that he is joining me here tonight. Um, we also share the same name, which is always cool. So we got that thing going for us. And the goal with these fireside chats is to have, uh, to hear inspiration, but also to do so in a way that's, uh, that's Hamish where we have, it's kind of a conversation, there's, a, there's an opportunity for folks perhaps at the end to ask some questions, but really to have a relaxed environment where we're connecting, we're learning, we're growing, and we're, uh, we're being inspired by Torah wisdom. So, I wanna begin by welcoming Rabbi Weinstein. Welcome. Hold on, let me unmute you. All right. Thank you, thank you. All right. Great honor. Awesome. Hey, the honor is ours. So uh, it's uh, it's it's an incredible honor to have you. Um, before we before we uh, we get started with the topic, I want to ask you a few questions, if that's okay. Well, first of all, let me introduce you. Um, rabbi Ari Weinstein is the Chabad Rabbi of the Newtown Shul in Newtown, Pennsylvania. By the way, Rabbi Weinstein, I'm reading this bio from a bio that I found online. So if there's any, because I know bios change at any given moment. You never know when something can shift. So if something changes, if something has changed, just let me know and we will, uh, we will get it corrected. Hold on one second. Let, let's do this. I'm going to mute everybody except for our guest speaker. Okay, good. So Rabbi Weinstein is the Chabad Rabbi of the Newtown Shul in Newtown, Pennsylvania, where he also directs the Jewish Learning Academy, which is the adult education center in that city. His engaging teaching style has made him a critically acclaimed and sought-after speaker and podcaster. He is the host of the Beginning Within podcast, and he has recently published his first book entitled It's Within You. So, Rabbi Weinstein, before we get started with your topic, I wanted to ask you, how did you tell us more about the book and how, what, what was the inspiration behind the book, the concept behind the book, where can we buy the book? Tell us a little bit about the book. <laughs> okay. Well, the, uh, the inspiration behind the book is... Um... I guess every single one of us has, um, we're inclined in certain directions and there are certain things that matter a lot to us. And so the subject of the book is something that has mattered a lot to me, just by the way God designed me. Um, and it's, um, it's essentially about, it's about getting to the root fundamental issue of all of our issues. And that sounds very bold, but it's not that, it sounds more bold than it is. The book is a very easy read. It's written in a very, in a very easy style, um, and it's and so it takes this this idea, which sounds very bold, and actually makes it quite simple. And it's simply that when that we trip over ourselves throughout life, and the more we can get ourselves out of the way, the more free we are to actually be able to be devoted to what we know to be true to be able to hear what's true, to be devoted to what's true, and not to let all of the other hindrances that hinder us now, hinder us. They simply don't bother us. So many things that bother us, they don't bother us when we get out of the way. Uh, that is uh, one form of a summary of the book. That's great, that's fantastic. It sounds like it has a lot of answers to a lot of questions that we may have or issues that we're struggling with. Again, the, the, the title of the book is It's Within You. And uh, I'm just checking, right? It's within you. That's the that's the title. You can get it on Amazon. That's where you can get it. There you go. And Amazon will deliver to you even now, even with all of the stuff going on. Of course, we love supporting local businesses, but if you want to get the book even faster, it's within you on Amazon. Um, tell us more about your podcast. So the podcast actually started before the book, um, and the podcast are many of the ideas I have in the book in snippets. 
So the podcasts are 10 minute, generally about 10 minute episodes, so that they're bite sized, easy, easy to get in, listen, and get out without. Uh, and in general, my style is to get to the, you know, get to the point, say it, and pull out. So that's what the podcast is. And actually, if you want to get a taste of the book, um, the, listen to the podcast. I would say starting from episode, from the first episodes, from the very first episodes. And if you if those resonate with you, and they don't with everyone, it's a certain style and a certain interest. But if they resonate with you, you will absolutely gain uh, and love the book. And the website to get the podcast, I'm sure it's available on all on all uh, podcast uh, providers. Um, but the, the the website, there's a, you have a website beginningwithin.com. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so beginningwithin.com. Uh, definitely write that down. Listen, everyone, no one can say they're, they're not on a computer at this point because if you're watching right now, if you're here, you're either on a phone or on a computer or so, near some device. Well, I think most of you, the vast majority, unless you're on a phone. Um, but uh, beginningwithin.com is the website to catch the podcast and the insights. And Rabbi Weinstein is incredible. We are super fortunate to have him here with us this evening. The topic of tonight's conversation is one that's very timely. How should I trust God when he seems MIA, missing in action? It's a topic that I think reflects a lot of the, uh, the, the, the emotions that we've been feeling over the last few months, um, kind of struggling with all that we're struggling with, which evokes kind of the big philosophical or theological questions. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Rabbi Weinstein to speak on the topic. Uh, folks, a warm welcome. I know you're muted, but uh, a warm welcome to Rabbi Weinstein. Please take it away. All right. Thank you, Rabbi Solish. It really is an honor for me to be here uh, joining you and uh, Rabbi Solish's community. That's what's really special. Uh, Rabbi Solish is well known in the Chabad world and I'm sure beyond the Chabad world, not only as a phenomenal teacher, as all of you know, but as an author, a very special individual, who we, and, and we call each other friends because we are, and that's special in and of itself. Yes. So good evening, everyone. Um, the, the, the subject is really a subject which I think every thinking human being asks many times in life. And that is, where, where is God when he seems MIA, when he seems missing in action? Because unfortunately... You know, you watch something like a pandemic hit the world and you see people dying. We're talking about over 100,000 people in the U.S. alone. And, 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 and we all know that a lot of these people, the, the vast majority, almost all of them probably, are um, who passed away, never mind the people who have suffered for, for a long time from the virus, are wonderful people, absolutely wonderful people. And so how do things like this happen? And to make this even more timely, um, we see we see people today suffering, either physically being assaulted or their businesses literally being burned to the ground, right? Simply good people spent years building a business and it all gets burned to the ground. And they, had done, they have done nothing wrong. How do we understand this? So what I'd like to do is, what I hope to do is, I hope to dive in a little bit deeply on this subject and hopefully share it from an angle that maybe it has not been presented to you in the past. And I hope that that will be helpful for all of us. I know that every time I teach this, it's more helpful to me because when you go deep, it's very hard to stay deep. But the more we engage in a subject like this, then the more we can start getting connected to that perspective. And that perspective can be really life-transforming in many ways. But what I need to ask of you in order for this to work is that, you know, when we, very often when we have a question, especially when the question is driven very emotionally, like a, a question like this. Now, I don't know if anyone here, I hope no one here is in a, is in a moment of crisis where you're feeling the emotion. But when we ask this question, very often we're in a deep emotional place. And so what happens is we're, we can be angry. And when we're, when we're angry, we're oppositional. What I mean by oppositional is there's nothing wrong with being angry, as I'll share with you. However, um, you know, angry at a situation. However, um, when we're oppositional in our questioning, we don't leave room to see something from a different perspective. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to step out of the question side of things and come around the table 
and say, I want to hear a perspective on this. And my goal is to share a perspective with you that you can understand, not that you will necessarily agree with, but that you at least understand the ideas I'm sharing. Whether you'll agree with that or not, I'll leave up to you and you'll decide. But that's that's my goal, and I hope we can achieve that together. Okay, so, I, you know, one of the, uh, uh, let me paint a, a situation, okay? And I'm sure this is a situation all of us have been in probably numerous times. You're sitting around your 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 dining room table. Um, it's, it's maybe it was uh, Passover last year. I suspect it wasn't Passover this year for the Seder. Or maybe it was a Thanksgiving dinner or a Rosh Hashanah dinner. And you're sitting and you invited family over and you have siblings around the table with you and you're all around together. It's really nice that the family's all together. And a conversation uh, gets onto the table, which is a little bit controversial, which is not that hard to bring up nowadays. So, you, so some conversations on the table and you take a position, you have a sibling or a relative, an in-law, someone takes another position. And in the ensuing conversation, that person throws a low blow comment at you. That, that low blow did not support their, their case, but what it did do was insult you in front of everyone. It's a, we call it below the belt simply because it had nothing to do with the conversation. It was simply to try and lower your status in the conversation. Everyone on the table knew. Everyone at that table knew that this person said something inappropriate. You felt hurt, and you know that that person knows that they hurt you. But the dinner goes on, and you're, and you're, you're a dignified person. You don't say anything. You don't blow it out of proportion. And the evening ends. They leave. A week later, they call you up. Very nice. They reached out. They call you up, and they say, well, you, um, you know, we were at, the, at, the, at dinner together. I know I really said something I should not have said. It was really inappropriate. Please forgive me. I feel really bad about it. Can you please forgive me? Right? So what does a good person do? So a good person says, you know, okay, bygones are bygones. I apologize. But my question to you is, on what merit, on what grounds should we apologize to someone like that? They knew exactly what they were doing. They meant it. They wanted to hurt us. They did. After the fact, a week later, in private, they're coming back to us and they're saying, please forgive me. On what merit should we forgive them? Where's justice? And here's the point I want to bring out. There is a very big, there, there are very large grounds for us um, forgiving them. And, the, and these are the instances typically when we would. We forgive them because when they're coming to us a week later and they're saying, please forgive me. They're coming to us from a very different place than the place which they were coming to us at at the table. At the table, they were feeling maybe somewhat defensive or they wanted to assert themselves and uh, they were feeling insecure. And so they needed to lower us. They needed to diminish us. And so they did or they attempted to. Now they're coming to us and saying, you know something, we're siblings. And I'm in touch with the fact that we're siblings now. Not that pettiness at the table. And I feel really bad about what I did. And if you in that moment, if they are genuine, and you can feel in that moment that, 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 that brotherhood between, with them, because in fact you are siblings, then what you end up doing is you end up reconnecting in a deeper place than the place they offended you. So they offended you over here, but they're coming and saying, let's come back down here. Let's go deeper. And in the deeper place, guess what? That doesn't bother you anymore. And this happens every single day, millions of times between couples, right? This happens all the time. How do we make up? We make up because what we end up doing is we end up revealing a deeper level of our relationship. And that offense happened on a shallower level. The point is, the art of getting into a relationship on a deeper level is very profound, and you can achieve wonders in a relationship. Give you another, uh, a, 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 another situation that I think uh, most, if not all, psychologists would agree with. Very often when a couple, a married couple, goes through a traumatic experience, well, I'll use one example, which I'm sure many couples, unfortunately, are going through now. A virus hits the world. You have a pandemic. A couple took their 
All of their life savings that they had and all of the gifts that they received for their wedding 10 years ago, they invested it in a business and they built it together and they got up early every single day and they went to sleep late every single night working on that business and building it and building it with pride. And their town had this beautiful business that everyone supported. It was just a wonderful thing on all levels and it gave this couple income. Two months later, after the pandemic hits and things are shut down, not only is their business no longer there, all of the savings they invested in it are gone. That's called a traumatic experience. That is traumatic because whenever we devote our lives to something for a very long time, we invest ourselves in it, and then suddenly it's ripped out from under our feet. We don't even know how to reorient ourselves. It takes quite a while to reorient ourselves. And that shakes the foundation of our lives because we were so dedicated to it. That's traumatic. And there's a very strong possibility that a couple will not be, they're married, will not be able to survive such trauma. Because when that happens, the couple, the, 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 the stress that the couple deals with and the trauma is so great that it starts coming between them. Because they're all, they're, both of them are very stressed. And very often that hurts the relationship and the relationship can fall apart. I'll use a more extreme example. More extreme example, maybe the worst example, the worst situation a couple can find themselves in. And that is, God forbid, that a couple loses a child. It's a holocaust. It's a personal holocaust for the parents. It's the worst thing that can happen to a human being. They lose their child. Very often, very often, couples get divorced after an experience like that. And no one can blame them. Because what they're going through is so traumatic that they can't, to deal with that stress and to keep their marriage thriving is an extremely difficult thing to do. So what should they do if they want to keep it together? Well, it's easier. It's easy to give advice, but this is ultimately what should be done if it's possible, if they could find the, the strength to do it. If they can find the strength to do it. What they need to do is they need to be able to meet more deeply than the trauma. And that's very, very deep, which is why it's so hard. That's very, very deep. But if they can meet uh, more deeply than the trauma, what they end up discovering is an unbelievable thing that not only did the trauma not hurt their marriage, but what the trauma did was the trauma revealed their relationship, the depth of their relationship, which is much deeper than they ever realized. And they become more tightly bound together than ever before. And that would be, if you will, a silver lining of the trauma. Of course, it doesn't help the trauma, but it does. But ultimately, that is how, if they can get deeper than the trauma, that's, that's getting deep. The point I'm trying to bring out is that depth in life has enormous, enormous value. When people find a way to get deeper in life, it has enormous value because it take us, takes us deeper than most of the things that typically shake us or rock our boat. So when I'm with groups, very often I ask a question. We have a, when I have a Shabbat, you know, now I don't have any guests over. But uh, before the before the virus, and hopefully soon, uh, hopefully soon, um, we'll be having guests at our our Shabbat table again. And we usually have a nice uh, nice number of guests at our table. You know, usually around forty people, including my family. And so we go around the table. and I ask a question every Friday night, and uh, everyone answers gives their answer to how they would answer that question. It's not a question of true or false. It's a question of your personal, you know, feelings. So one of the questions that I ask sometimes is, what has been one of your most meaningful or deepest moments in life? It's fascinating to hear the answers to, the, to this question, but the interesting thing is that the answers are, are, are very similar very often, no matter who the group is. So the classic answers are, um, classically people will say, the, when I stood under my chuppah and we got married, right? You connect, you're, you're connecting with your soulmate. Um, it's, it's, it's a very deep experience. It's the deepest moment in my life. That's what a lot of people share. A lot of people share when they, when they had their first child, especially women giving birth to a child. But very often men will also say, when my first child was born. That was like, it's a magical moment. It's, it defies, it's beyond anything else. It's surreal. So it's just something that was the deepest moment of my life. Some people share something very interesting, which, which will demonstrate my point more than the others. And that is, they say, when a loved one passed away. 
It's not a happy moment. It's not a happy moment, but it's a deep moment. It's a profound moment. Something profound about that, that they share. Very often people will say when they went to, and I did not have this experience personally, but many people do, when they went to the Western Wall for the first time. They say, when I went to the Western Wall, I stood by a wall of stones and I broke down crying. And I have no idea why. So all of us have different experiences in life which are very profound and very meaningful. The interesting thing is the more profound and meaningful a particular moment is in our life, the less we can understand why it was profound and meaningful. Ask someone, the, the Western Wall is the, easiest, is the easiest example. Why did you start break down and crying? And the person may not even know any significance to the Western Wall, other than something the tour guide told them five minutes earlier about the history of the Jews, which they may have never studied, so it really doesn't have any uh, meaning to them. The reason why is because something very deep within them was touched. The reason why someone can, can, can say that the, one of the most profound moments in their life was when the, they, was the death of a loved one is because something very deep within them was touched in that moment. Even when I ask a mother or a father to explain why their most meaningful moment was when their child was born, they seem to be at a loss of words. They say, I, you know, it was just... It was just surreal. It was just something I never imagined. I could never, I never imagined I'd experience something like that. I felt something I never felt before. It, it sort of defies language. And, and the truth is, it's not only that it defies language. It defies comprehension. It defies comprehension. Because here's a very important thing that we are often not taught, which Hasidic philosophy teaches us. And that is, that there is a dimension to us which is far deeper than our ability to comprehend. And very often we think we measure things based on our ability to understand it. If I understand it, it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, it can't be. But the reality is, and we all experience this, the reality is that, there are, that the most profound things that happen in our life are actually, they defy understanding. Because they reach a place in us which is, in fact, deeper than understanding. And simply, we can call that the soul. Okay, I'm just loosely, uh, without getting into nuances. Simply, we can call it the soul. It's something that's deeper than the mind. And I would say that there are things that we can understand. And then there are things that we cannot understand and we can only experience. Many times, we limit ourselves from experiencing things. Because when you let go of understanding and you leave yourself wide open to experience, you're making yourself very vulnerable. And that's a really hard thing for people to do. It's a really hard thing for people to do. It's a really hard thing for anyone to do, to be quite honest. Some people by nature and their personality, it's a little bit easier. For others, it's more difficult. This is a battle I battle every single day. This is something very important to me and something I'm not naturally, I don't naturally just let go because I'm a thinker, so I'm trying to understand things. But I know that in many experiences I need to just let go. And what happens when I, when I do is I begin to experience. I'm not understanding, I'm experiencing. Like I can see for my children that some of my children under, are better, better understanders, but some of my children are phenomenal. I have one child who is phenomenal at being in touch with what's going on so unbelievably self-aware it's just mind-boggling to me it's mind-boggling that he's my child actually um, but he has that gift the gift to be able to experience what's going on and not so much understand what's going on but to experience what's going on the reason why this is significant in our conversation is because when we deal with situations that we cannot understand how do we relate to them that's the question See, the gift of the mind is an enormous gift. The gift of intelligence is an unbelievable tool that God has given us. But what we need to remember is that it is simply a tool. It is not us. What I think is not who I am. What I think is what I choose to think. That's why we can change our thoughts. 
when my child tells me that they're having scary thoughts and they can't fall asleep, what do, you, what do you tell a child? Tell a child, think about something else, which of course is an extremely difficult thing for us to do. How are we telling them to do that? But that's really what needs to be done. But so what we do is we'll tell them another, we'll tell them a story. You distract them, you take their mind somewhere else. That tells us that we can easily shift our thoughts. So the intellect is a very profound tool. It's profound in that it's similar, it's similar to a camera. A camera has numerous lens. You can put a wide lens on, you can put a fisheye lens on, a zoom lens, whatever it is that you're doing, you put on different lens. The camera is, 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 the, is the machine, if you will. Um, I'm not sure why I had to refer to the camera. And then you have all these different lens that, 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 that you put on. It's a, the, the camera is the tool, and then you have these different lengths to catch the image, and you catch different, the image in different ways. Likewise, we have a mind which is a tool, it's a camera, in a respect, it's a tool, and the perspectives that we develop determine the type of lens that we are going to see through and how we're going to perceive the things that we're looking at. We can always change perspective, and we can always change perspective, which is part of what we're doing now, we can also, most importantly, which is not told to us very often, is we can go deeper than the mind. We can just go to self and ask myself, what am I experiencing right now? I'm not going to try and understand what's going on. How is this resonating with me? That's a whole different level of relating to a situation um, than trying to always understand the, uh, the situation. So... This was actually taught, this profound idea was actually taught to Moses at Mount Sinai. Um, so we just celebrated the holiday of Shuas. Moses goes up on the mountain, right? God says the Ten Commandments, and Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he comes down with the tablets, what does he find out? That the Jews just made a golden calf. See, he smashes the tablets. Now he's got a big problem. What's the problem? The Jews, who he is the leader of, and God instructed him, you need to take care of these people. He's now between the Jewish people and God. And as a great leader does, in fact, is he takes the side of the people. And he goes back to God and he argues with God to, to forgive them. And God eventually agrees to forgive them. And when at the time that God agreed to forgive them, Moses noticed that God's forgiving the Jews and it was a big battle. He had to negotiate he was, uh, um, he had to negotiate very hard with God. It took him 40 days and 40 nights, actually, to negotiate the forgiveness. Until finally God said, go down and make another set of tablets and come back up. So he negotiates, and when he sees that he has this auspicious moment with God, where God is forgiving, which means what? God is in a deeper, God is, is interacting with him from a deeper place. So... He's, he, he says, you know, like a child, every child knows you, you, you got to find the moment. A smart kid knows when to ask their parents for something, right? You have to wait for the right moment. So when the parents are in a good mood, you ask them for a couple of extra things. You throw in a, a couple of extra requests. So he says, God, show me your glory. That's what he asks of God. Now, what was Moses asking of God? He's on the mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights. What did he mean when he said, show me your glory? And the Talmud tells us that the question he was asking is the question that you and I ask repeatedly through life. And that is, why I want to, I want to see a, the depth of you, God, where I can understand why bad things happen to good people. That was his question. So it's not an original question. It goes all the way back to Moses. Of course, every human being must have asked this question. But Moses actually confronted God with a question, and this is valuable. So what I really want to know, and I hope you want to know, is what did God answer? What God answered was, It's not possible for a man to see me and live. That's what God said. There are multiple meanings to this answer. But for the sake of our conversation, I want to share just one dimension. And that is that God is saying, the moment a human being can understand why another human being is suffering, which is what you want to know, Moses. You want to know why a good person is suffering. The moment a human being understands why another human being is suffering, they, they no longer feel for the human being, which essentially means they lose their humanity, which is, that's what makes us human. 
We're compassionate people. We feel for another person. We can experience another person's pain. But the moment we can explain it, we lose our compassion, which means we lose our humanity. We are no longer living as a human being. And that would be the greatest tragedy. That would be the greatest tragedy. So actually, let me give you the scenario. Imagine you go into a... Um, Imagine you uh, you go into a um, IC an ICU ward, and you see a man there who's uh, all uh, wired up, hooked up, um, and you ask the doctor, "What's the story with this guy?" He says uh, he's got less than a week to live. So what's he dying from? He's dying from lung cancer. Well, he's been battling for about four or five years, and there's nothing we can do for him. He's really at the end. What do you feel? What's your, what is your um, reaction to that? So any, any decent and half-decent person, you see someone on their deathbed, let's just say that they're 60 years old. They're young, right? And you may be about the same age, a few years older, a few years younger, and you say, oh my goodness, this guy's life is ending. Right? You can almost put yourself in their shoes. It's devastating. Maybe he's never going to see his grandchildren. Right? There are so many things he's been working on that are just incomplete now. It's a devastation. So you feel compassion for the person. And then you ask the doctor another question. Not a good question to ask. You ask the doctor, do you know what caused the lung cancer? Like, why does he have, what caused his lung cancer? The doctor says, look, we never really know absolutely why someone gets any particular disease. However, if someone smoked two packs of cigarettes 40 years straight every single day, there's good reason to believe that that's the reason, that's what caused his lung cancer. What happens in that moment, in that moment when the doctor says that, and you hear, oh, oh, he was smoking for the last 40 years. No wonder he, had lung, he has lung cancer. In that single moment, it's, it's unbelievable, in this single moment, most, if not all, of our compassion flies right out the window. Why? Because now I understand. Oh, that's why. The moment we understand, we lower ourselves to understanding, we lose the depth of experiencing with another person what it is that they are experiencing, being with another person. When I understand you, I'm not being with you. When I, when I am experiencing what you're experiencing, that is when I am being with you. That is something that's very profound, very hard to do. And it's hard to do not because we're such fabulously profound people that we think so deeply, but that we are that we are so stuck in our thought that we have a hard time going deeper than our thought. And God puts us in situations where our mind will not be able to grasp certain situations. And that we should never be put into such a situation. We, don't, we never look for such a situation, but when we do, we have, to, we have to remind ourselves that God has given us an opportunity in this moment to interact with what I can't understand differently than I am used to. And that differently is more profoundly. And that more profoundly is not understanding the situation, but it's actually experiencing the situation. You know, you ever, you ever have this experience where um, if you have a good friend or if you have a spouse, and, and, and they, they, you know, they're sharing some challenge that they've been going through, right? And, and you hear the challenge, right? You hear it. And so you tell them, well, why don't you do this? And they sort of ignore you. They don't pay attention to your advice, which, is, you know, slights you a little bit. But, you know, they continue talking about the problem. And then you say, well, you know, you can solve the problem. And you give them different ways of solving the problem because you are the ultimate fixer, Right? Which we, are, which we are typically great at doing, fixing someone else's problem, especially when it's someone else's problem. We're great at fixing someone else's problem. So we have a lot of great ideas. So our spouse tells us this problem, and we're fixing and fixing until finally they say, can you just be quiet? I, I don't need you to fix my problem. So you say, well, why are you sharing it with me if you don't need to fix it, if you don't need me to fix it? Why are they sharing it if they don't want us to fix it? They want us to be with them in the experience of the problem. Now I'm lecturing about it. I'm not that great at it. I'm practicing. But 
That is really what they want. They want us to be with them in the problem. And guess what? When we are with someone in the problem, that opens up doors for them to actually discover the solutions themselves. Simply because they know that there's someone there who understands them. Or I shouldn't use the word understand. Who is with them experiences. Experiences the problem with them. They just feel the comfort of having someone just embracing them with the challenge that they're dealing with is unbelievable. And it's very, very rare, actually. It's very, very rare. That's why people who have this level uh, of ability to go that deep are very popular people. They are very well-liked people. Because that's why we are seeking in other people probably more than anything else. So there's a phenomenal... I have a friend in the community here who I've known for about um, 18 years. We started studying on a weekly basis. About 18 years ago, we started studying on a weekly basis. And then after, I can't remember exactly, but maybe it was a year or so. After about a year or so, he, um, he, he shared with me a, a, number, a, a traumatic experience he had in his life. And that was the loss of a 16-year-old son who battled cancer for two years. And he essentially, is, he and his wife watched as their son suffered. A beautiful boy, a beautiful teenage boy. Just a wonderful kid, suffered, suffered, suffered to his death. And my friend, this gentleman who I, who I learn with every week, I study with him every week, he is angry. He is furious of God. And I always tell him, be furious, no problem. Don't, don't worry about being furious at God. You're relating to God, you're in a relationship with God, and your, your relationship is an angry one. It's because God gave, presented you with a, with, a, with a situation that you just, you know, brings it. That's how he's experiencing, right? No one, no one will be able to ever explain to him, despite the fact that some people are foolish enough to think that they can. And I, and I want to be very explicit about that, because you will encounter people in life who will try and explain um, things that we don't understand. But for some reason, they convince themselves that they do understand. Um, and they explain these things. Like they, people on the whole explain the Holocaust. People explain why bad things happen, why the coronavirus is striking. Unless someone's a prophet and God speaks to them at night, they have no idea why God is doing something like this. No idea. Um, so we, he asked me, after he shared this with me, he said, can we study one of the books of the Tanakh, of the... Uh, um, of the Torah. So I asked him which book he wants to study. He wants to study the book of Job, the book of Eob, the book of Job. The book of Job is a horrific book, um, but the book is all about why a horrible things happen to a wonderful person. And that wonderful person was Job himself. Job was a man, I'm just going to give you a quick summary of it, but it's a very, it's a profound book. And it's essentially a, a good man, a wonderful man who was blessed with a wonderful wife, with many children, with abundance, he was wealthy, he had a wonderful life, and suddenly every blessing he had is being torched to the ground, and he becomes uh, violently sick and suffers terribly, suffers terribly. Now he has three friends in the book that come to him, and um, the three friends, they tell him that the reason why this is happening is because he's not being he's not being good to God. He's a, he sinned. He did things he should not have done. He's not accepting his lot. And every time they tell him these things, he tells them, "It's not true. That's you're wrong. I am a good man, and I did not turn my back on God, and I do good things. I'm a good person." And this is the conversation for most of the book. And then suddenly. Towards the end of the book, the last uh, four chapters or so, God shows up. And by the way, some people, and the Talmud discusses this whole story and discusses whether this is a fictitious story or it's actually Job was a real person. That's a whole conversation in and of itself. But the message remains the same. And the fact that it's one of our canonized books is very significant because it gets to the core and fundamental of our relationship with God. And an area where, where, where we are very often um, gravely mistaken as to our relationship with God. God comes to Job and God says, essentially, were you here when the earth was founded? And God starts going through 
all different elements of creation, which we really, even until today, with all of our advances in science, only have an inkling of an, inkling of an understanding of how these things operate. So, so where were you? Were you there? Do you understand how this happened? Do you understand how the whole earth came into being? Do you understand how the coronavirus spreads, how it attacks a human body? We still don't understand that. One day one we say it's this, the next day we say it's that. We don't we don't have an understanding of it. We big, we haven't even scratched the surface of understanding the human brain. With all of our unbelievable advances in science, we still don't even have an inkling of what goes on in the human brain. That's essentially what God tells Job. What is God telling Job? Do you think that you can understand why things happen? There are things that are going to happen and your mind will not, that tool that I gave you called the mind, will not be able to grasp it. And then God turns to the three friends and God tells the three friends, you told Job that he's a sinner. He's not a sinner. He's a good man. You guys are sinners for telling Job that he's a sinner. This has nothing to do with any sins that Job, that Job has done. It's simply something that's beyond our ability to grasp with our mind. So what do we do? What we do is we interact with the experiences that we're having openly. And we experience what we experience. We experience fear. We experience anger. We experience hope. Everyone experiences something else. And sometimes all, we experience all of these at different stages. When we are open, we are being honest and open with God. And we're saying, God, I have no idea what's going on over here. But this is very painful. And what happens is the same thing that happens to a couple that went through a trauma. They went through a trauma. They're in deep pain. But somehow in that pain, they, they both find a way to connect on a deeper level. It doesn't mean it's not going to be painful. As my friend always tells me, he says that the pain never goes away. It only changes. It may be painful. But what happens when we're open is we actually find a deeper place to connect in our relationship. And in some strange way, and it is strange, but in some strange way, and people who have done this in their life will say this. They will say this. That when they were in a, in, in a very challenging situation or in a situation that defied their comprehension, no way of explaining it, and they somehow let go of trying to understand it, and they just opened themselves up to be, to experience it the way they experienced it as who they are, and to speak to God from that place. They say, I don't know, it's the strangest thing in the world, but I am closer to God today than I ever was. That is the strange thing. And the reason why that is so is because we go deeper. And when we're deeper, we end up being much closer. So let me just wrap this up by saying this. When a car is driving down the road and it starts swerving, it starts swerving to the left. So I hope all of us learned at some point that when a car swerves to the left, even though our instincts would be to swerve the steering wheel to the right, that the safest thing to do is to turn the steering wheel in the direction of the swerve. It is very hard for a person to do that because every every um, every muscle in my body, every instinct is telling me to turn the other way. But I have to remember that even though everything says go the other way, I need to know I have to override my system and go the right way. This is something very profound, and that is that there are times, there are situations that we have to face the fear and not walk away from it. We have to face the darkness and look into it and work through it instead of removing ourselves from it. When we remove ourselves from it, we remain hostile. We, re we, we do not come to terms in any way. And we suffer from it even more. When we work through it, as difficult as that may be, what we give ourselves the opportunity of doing is interacting with it and actually finding a greater depth in ourselves that we never knew or we were never in touch with and probably never knew actually existed. And this is actually a biblical story where the Torah tells us the Jews once complained about the manna in the desert at the end of the 40 years. So um, poisonous snakes came and started biting uh, many of the of, of the Jews and uh, there was there was uh, many of the Jews started dying. So Moses uh, comes to God and says, God, we have to, how do we stop this? But God said, put a copper snake on a big pole. Everyone look at the copper snake. When you look at the snake, 
Anyone who is bitten by a snake will be healed. This is a phenomenal thing. God is telling us that if you're bitten by a poisonous snake, what do you need to do? You need to look at the snake. That when we want to work through something which is so overwhelming, the key to working through it is stepping towards it, not instinctively running away from it. It's a really hard thing to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge anyone who runs away. I've ran away probably hundreds of times. However, we hope that we're going to remember that you have to turn to the swerve, not away from the swerve, and that is how a person works through it. And what we end up finding through that is an enormous experience of liberation because we end up liberating a deeper part of ourselves that remains hidden until we are willing to work through it. So when we encounter a situation where God seems to be missing in action, we have to remind ourselves that God seems to be missing in action. But we can actually discover a deeper connection with God if we're willing to work through what we're dealing with instead of running away from it. I hope uh, this was uh, somewhat helpful. And if anyone has any questions or whatever it may be, I'm wide open. You can ask me everything and anything. Can't promise I have an answer though. Thank you, Rabbi Weinstein. Incredible. Um, thank you, thank you. That was very deep and profound. And, and I can speak for myself. It resonated a lot. Um, let's, uh, let's do this. If, uh, we'll, we'll do a few minutes of thanks for being open for a few minutes of Q&A. If anyone has questions, please just unmute yourself or you can, I guess, raise your hand and, uh, and I'll unmute you. Uh, but please jump in. fine. <laughs> or maybe there are questions. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment that I explain things so well you simply have nothing to ask. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, thank you. Um, one last round, one last try. Any questions, comments? No? All right, we have, we have a very um, either agreeable or introspective crowd and everyone is internalizing it. I actually have... I have a question. Uh, Ronnie. Ronnie, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, like many of us, have experienced some of those moments and um, have dug deeper and, and fortunately or, or otherwise I've, I've maybe come out a little bit stronger and, and maybe more um, compassionate. Is, is there a way to access that sort of deep feeling and, and understanding and growth without experiencing the traumas? <laughs> I, I, yes, no question. Uh, there definitely is. Um, that is putting ourselves, that's reaching deeper within ourselves. Um, I would say that if, when we begin to, which, which, which you may, may very well do, uh, I should say when we continue to, better than begin to, when we continue to pursue our interaction with God as a relationship, not as, a, as, a, as a, uh, an all-powerful uh, angry uh, God that's forcing me to live a life a certain way. But I see that there's a, I enter my, my interaction with God as a relationship. And I begin to look at different things that I may not understand, which God uh, brings into the relationship, right? And, and they're not, not traumatic things or bad things, but maybe things that God wants of me. And I simply think of it in that way. I think of it in the same way that my spouse wants certain things that I, I, I don't even understand. I just don't get it. I do not get it. But they want it, right? And, and I say, you know what, I'm doing this because I love them. It's that simple. I just simply love them. And so we end up interacting with God on that level. So I want to tell you two things. One is you end up, you end up developing a deeper relationship because what you're doing is you're going deeper than your understanding, which is the very reason why God gives us commandments which defy understanding. Specifically, there's a certain group of commandments called chukim, which we simply don't understand. That's such a blessing because God is offering us the opportunity for a very deep relationship. Um, so the first thing is that we can actually step into doing things simply because that's what God wants us to do. But here's another thing which you should always know, that in a relationship, um, King Solomon writes a verse in the book of Proverbs, which is repeated, uh, it's re repeatedly mentioned in, um, in Hasidic teachings. 
that kemayim hapanim alpanim, which means just as the, the water reflects, um, it's sort of like a mirror. You know, if you smile to a, to water or you smile to a mirror, you get back whatever you give. So God interacts with us in a very similar fashion. We're just, and, and this is true we know in relationships, right? You walk down the street. If you walk down the street and you smile at everyone that you see, you're going to get a lot of smiles back. You don't smile, you won't get a lot of smiles back. That's because the, the, the world people, the world, and, and the spiritual and the godly world reflects what we give. God says, I want you to initiate. And the path that you initiate, I'm going to respond from. So when we interact with God in a manner which is not what I would say, maybe we could say is reasonable, meaning it's not based on reason, but I'm willing to be devoted to God, not to my understanding. You see, because when we do things for someone that we only understand, we're not really, we're not really in a relationship with the other person. We're in a relationship with our um, understanding, right? But the moment we're willing to do something for another person, whether we do or don't understand, we are really relating with the other person. And then God says, I'm going to relate to you from that deep place, which means that we, are, that we experience blessings in our life which are super, what we call super irrational. They're unexpected, shocking things. Shocking positivity happens out of nowhere. It's that call you were waiting for that suddenly comes. Now, I'm not, I'm not one, uh, I'm not God. I'm not guaranteeing you anything. But our Hasidic masters teach us this. And I will say that, that no, you're not going to see some open miracle like the splitting of the sea. But I, but I will surely say that in my life, I feel like I have blessings which are way beyond the, the, the efforts I put in. Um, so we have to, you know, we put in, we, we develop a relationship on that level, and that relationship comes back from the other side too. I hope that answered your question. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Weinstein. Okay, one last request. Any questions? Final questions? If no one else has a question, I have one. But folks, go ahead. Any questions? Okay, my question. So here's my question. Um, this is off topic, but I'm loving your background. It's very, um, seeing the background to your Zoom. I've got a very plain room over here. Is, is, this, uh, is this your home, office, Chabad Center? Well, when we quarantined, we went to our, to our uh, summer home mansion, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is actually a backdrop that I have hanging on the wall. Nice. Um, yeah, I do, some, I do some videoing, so uh, I put a lot of videos. Uh, I'm putting more videos on, so. Um, have a little setup over here. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm not using my sophisticated camera because with Zoom it gets complicated. But well, your your secret is safe with us. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you very much, Rabbi. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to see you, and it's great to talk to you uh, and with 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 friends here in Atlanta. Thank you yeah. for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your insight and inspiration. And I think. Um, I'm personally taking your message to heart, the idea of looking deeper, not always trying to understand because that's, that's not, that's not, that, that may not work, but really trying to just be in that experience and be in the moment and feel it. Yeah. That's, that sounds Wonderful. like, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for joining. Uh, stay tuned for announcements about, um, well, maybe not right now on this, but keep on staying plugged in. Check the emails and the social media for upcoming events and programs. I have a, um, a special pop-up lecture. that I, It's a surprise lecture that's going to air tomorrow night at 8 p.m. So stay tuned for that. Information will be released in the morning. Um, and stay tuned. More fun and excitement. All right. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you, thank good you. to see you all. Laila Tov. Shavua Tov. Have a good night and a wonderful week. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.